0: I just
1: want to say. What do you want to say?
0: It was incredibly hard to find news news on deserts.
2: That's why Brian usually. I just choose (laughs) pornographic animal stuff. (laughs) I don't know. For news? Yeah, we're like poopy animals. It's weird.
1: Not as weird as this mess up is going to be. Well, welcome
2: everyone (laughs) to another episode of
1: Geology on the Rocks, your one-stop shop for all things rocks and rocking out. (laughs) A brief overview of this evening's episode will include the intros and hellos, followed by a triple junction and a new news, maybe. Our main discussion will dive into all things... Desserts and wine, and between the bars of our main discussion, we present to you another mineral minute. And before signing off, well, we'll just go ahead and leave that blank. A big thank you to all our listeners out there for allowing us to be played between your earballs each week and for spending your time with us each week. That's redundant. <laughs> if you would like to reach out to us to weather, yeah. <laughs> If you'd like to reach out to us, whether it be for episode ideas, itches you're wanting scratched, answers you're wanting questions, or simply to tell us about all the times we were wrong, you can reach out to us at geologyotr at gmail.com, or you can find us at Instagram at podcast. Well then, Mr. Uh, Baggins and Mrs. Coluvial, it looks like things are squared away over here, so without further ado to all of you over there, I am your host, James the Geologist. And I'm
2: Brian Baggins.
0: And I'm Coluvial <laughs> and this is geology, geology on, on the rocks. The rocks. Woo! Yeah. Well, hey, man. Clink, clink.
2: We always got a clink.
1: Ooh. Then, oh, is that a good one? episode 42 it is episode 42 so we've made it another
2: week and i don't know yeah you saw it because i was sending it to y'all yeah the uh the merch the, We have merch yeah we do we uh, will find out how many of you are horny for hematite <laughs> horny for <Lots>. hematite <laughs> yeah
0: i am having to control myself and i'm like okay one item per paycheck yeah, <laughs> can yeah.
1: Do it. i, I, like I the, did i did buy the uh fuck marl shirt. i gotta get that one <laughs> I did. Yeah. just so maybe we'll just take pictures like we'll probably be the only ones that ever
2: buy stuff I don't I don't know maybe maybe but if we take pictures maybe we'll buy it yeah us like l- with our rock hammers on yeah. the field and just with our <laughs> fuck moral and horny yeah, I don't for think hematite I, I don't think i'll wear a horny horny for hematite shirt no. at work <laughs> <Probably not. laughs> no i have one that says schist happens
1: yeah so it's kind of thing. so you wouldn't wear the f moral shirt to work i would probably wear that one that, that's funny yeah
2: that one was hilarious but i'm not really horny for hematite well after biffs well yeah that maybe Dude, that. the spiffy biffs i was pretty uh wowed by all that that we had to learn because i i had to relearn the story Oh, yeah, you know, but you know. the new story that it told us that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. well, how was your week been? Uh,
1: uh, it was just busy busy. Yeah, busy. busy doing what about you Carly Had a good week? Meh. 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 <laughs> Meh. That's, that's about... It.
0: I'm having class withdrawal. Class oh. withdrawal? Yeah.
1: Oh, for... No
0: Thursday, no Tuesday.
1: Oh, I got, yeah. I got the shakes, man. The shakes, oh, man. shakes. Well, we're going to be going over sediments next class. So. <laughs> Woo! There, the, Excellent. The, yeah. I got told by one of my students, like, you just don't seem like you're, like, as into it as, like, you don't like oceanography as much as you like geology, right? I'm like, um, <laughs> yes? maybe, no, I don't know. I don't know. It's you just, got, so it's you're different.
2: going into ocean sediments? Yeah so, yeah. so the... Like sediment plumes and stuff?
1: Well, no. Like, yes, and like the lithogenous versus hydrogenous versus cosmogenous versus biogenous. Okay. Maybe I should come to your class and learn. Cause oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's going to be just titillating stuff, titillating <laughs> stuff. Well then I guess that was the intros and hello. So how about a little bit of triple junction fanfare?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we had a, a few. Yeah. I was surprised emails. this week.
1: Like there were, there was a lot of, Out of nowhere. Yeah. I was yeah. just like, huh. Okay. But okay, um Brian.
2: yeah, you guys brought up some questions that you want answered. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's just your wanting scratch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we did receive them and we are going to get you a response, but today our, our episode is loaded. Yeah. So we're gonna be running against the sediment. clock a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, uh Sahini and Jaden and, and Richard.
1: Yeah, and then shout out to Christian and Caleb. Uh I know I probably wore him out because he asked about statistics from I guess last episode, right? So oh. I went into I basically uh, the advanced stats, like the year and a half of advanced stats that I've taken. I'm gonna condense this into like two paragraphs. <laughs> so hopefully that made sense.
0: Yeah. yeah, and shout out to Jim. Lots of love and support behind you. And I would throw a sheep into a volcano for you.
2: Awesome! Yeah, that's, yeah uh, that's that's some dedication. Yeah, that's that's basically
1: my my bucket list is when I leave these this mortal coil. I want to be. Oh, I told my kids that their job <laughs> is to throw me into a volcano. That would be awesome. That's how I don't want to be buried. I want to be cremated, but if I could be cremated by a volcano, right? And then I would recrystallize, and then hopefully turn into a rock. And a geologist would study me later. Yeah.
2: Just chunk me in, baby. What if there was a death? volcano and it had so much organics in I don't it that- <laughs> I don't
1: understand why they don't utilize that, be, that as like yeah,
2: the ultimate
1: like burial site like just throw me in and then they're always like "Well, what happens if we if you miss I'm like we just got to go down there and like kick me in <laughs> yeah like take a volcano <laughs> chuck me in but yeah so that was that uh, tonight desserts and wines yeah. right it's gonna be a fun episode mm-hmm. so for this evening's episode we're going to be covering all things desserts and wine and we will include such uh, musings as climatic conditions that create desserts. Hertz. Geographic distribution of Earth's desserts, weathering, dunes, surface morphologies, then maybe spend some time in between chronicling the desserts, landscape, history, and the mysterious disappearance of the Saharan deserts and its mighty return to
2: glory. Yeah. So climate's one of the primary factors that contributes to determining the morphology of an environment or region, right? Mm-hmm. So many factors are there. that converge to establish climate and they're used to classify it, including annual irradiation and and distribution of the water masses surrounding and the mountains, latitude, longitude.
1: Yeah, right, 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 Brian. So the temperature, precipitation, and wine flows are also elements that determine climate. So in fact, the development of vegetation and animal life is as bound to climate as the shape assumed by the landscape itself.
0: And I'm sure to some extent, climate regulates humans' ability to sort of like establish itself in specific places around the globe, right?
1: Right, right, right. And then so we we can really think about climate, I guess, as this body of atmospheric conditions that really manifest themselves at those conditions in turn are what is influencing particular regions in a given geologic area, if you will.
2: Yeah, and so also the distribution of native vegetation can also play a defart. Uh, <laughs> Please keep that. <laughs>
0: no, <yeah>. Yes! That yes.
1: <laughs> That was so good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> you bent over it Yes Oh man It's just a geologic Well rumbling. It may play a fart But it also plays a part <laughs> Yeah In defining Climactic Yeah oh, oh, I'm uh, just Minerals Yeah Yes <laughs> <laughs> climatic regimes, Uh, but it it represents rather than a cause and it's regulated by soil types from which plants take their nutrition.
1: Yeah, yeah. And given just the enormous variability of the elements involved in categorizing climates, several classifications proposed since the 1800s took different factors into consideration. Right. So and this is what led to in 1936, uh, the the climatologist Vladimir Kopin, right, publishing a classification of climates based primarily on rainfall and temperature, but also on the the nature of various vegetal formations. So in total, I think there was a total of um, five of the groups, right?
2: Yeah, and those are going to consist of uh, humid me- megathermic, I think like tropical conditions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have arid climates, so deserts, mm-hmm. And then we have mesothermic climates that are temperate, microthermic climates. Um, you'll see these in like the boreal forests. And lastly, the nival climates. But basically... The polar climate regions. Right? Yeah. Okay. But each group is going to include two or more climate types each, and those in turn present additional corresponding biomes characteristic of various land masses. Say, you know, a rainforest, savanna, gotcha. deserts, but also Mediterranean scrub, conifer forest, and so forth.
0: I know those aren't the only ones though, and would imagine to some degree of those other classifications being based on different parameters that mm-hmm. exist, but are largely derived from Koppen's seminal work.
1: Yeah. Like I, I think the the, the great mass of data that we have on daily temperature readings, right? So that's collected worldwide and for decades favors a classification based on the the temperatures of atmosphere at ground level. So, right. So um, from that, you can get an analysis of monthly averages, which could identify three principal climate groups that are based on latitudes. So we get the the classifications of low latitude environments, climates, middle latitudes, and then the high latitudes.
2: Also in the same vein of having large amounts of data, it's it's possible to make a classification scheme based on precipitation in relation to geographic pres- Yeah, I think,
1: positions. didn't, uh, what's his name, Charles Pierre Bouguet or however you say his name, but he, yeah, he did, he, it was something like that. He did yeah. something
2: with that, right? We oui. 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 Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he, uh, if, if you can't figure that out, he was a French climatologist who made classifications that were more um, general in nature. They took both temperature and precipitation data in a, into account, along with, you know, variations, nature, and then How they manifest.
1: Yeah, right. And then activating math brain ball systems. Activate it. So, <laughs> alternatively, five basic climate types can be ascertained from statistical data and the a mathematical analysis. So, anal YS's, right? So, mm-hmm. mathematical analysis of average duration of given temperatures and rainfall that we refer to as calculating. Beep, boop, beep, bop, boop, boop. <laughs> humid, tropical, dry, <laughs> hot, humid. <laughs> it's like my underpants <laughs> is hot and humid. <laughs> Yeah, but it's also temperate as I get older, right? So cold, humid, temperate, and polar climates.
2: Uh, regardless of your hot underpants <laughs> and all these classifications of error, error, they they all indicate error. geographic error. <laughs> areas with distinct meteorological regimes. The morphological characteristics of each territory, and if you don't remember from last week, that's the processes that define its landscape are strictly tied to these regimes.
1: So then we can look to these climatic conditions that create deserts, and boy, do I love me some deserts. So speaking of, if you could have only one desert, what would it be? And go Carly.
0: It would be the Andes frozen custard, specifically. The straw Anna.
1: What is that? Mm. Don't yeah, look at me I like don't. that. I don't. Do you eat frozen is. custard? Well, I do, but I, so I think of like frozen orange custard. leaf.
0: Yeah, it's just like a. I don't know how custard is different from ice cream, but. Is it's it smoother? It is <laughs> silky smooth.
1: Mm. So it's like a. Calluvian. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. Frozen custard. I like custard, but I like hot yeah. custard with raspberries. Oh. What kind of desert do you like, Brian? Uh,
2: my deserts. I'm not really a, a sweets guy. You're disgusting. You are, just, you are. That's what? I'd rather eat some meat. <laughs> (laughs)
0: Some meat sticks. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
2: But I could go for some Dole Whip. That's been on my mind since Hawaii. So, um, well, so is that like a pineapple thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's like pineapple ice cream or custard. Okay. Very, 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 very good. So, Um, your favorite desert, James?
1: Uh, my favorite desert would have to be hands down a cinnamon roll. Mm. Like I could eat a cinnamon roll any time yeah. of the day. And usually, so what? where is it? Uh, Schlotsky's. They do the cinnamon, yeah. the cinnamon. So does Pizza
2: Hut. And then I always get them from Domino's. There's some like old like diner in Lake Worth and their cinnamon rolls are like this. And that's like so my, good. That's my dream. Yeah. Like,
1: I could eat cinnamon rolls. All right. But anyway, so that's <laughs> deserts. We're going to talk about desserts now. But
2: All right. So we talked about uh, deserts a little bit. Bit, but yeah, we did. let's focus back in on desserts. Okay. <laughs> Gladly. Uh, okay. So the desserts we're talking about here are defined by a particularly arid region of the planet. You're going to have limited vegetation cover or none. And then the fauna is scarce or quite different. Yeah. It's created by the convergence of certain climatic conditions with particular factors in many ways that surround the area.
1: Yeah. And the, the, the desserts, a mobile and sometimes spectral image and its look of apparent light lifelessness can suggest an immutable landscape that is beyond history crystallized always and forever in time Ooh, i love when you say That's crystallized little, i know it's a
2: little poetic <laughs> yeah. eh but yeah so the reality is something else right yeah, so obviously many stylized figures that represent typical animals of the savannah are painted or scratched yeah <laughs> on the rock walls like, yeah. yeah carved out
0: yeah, I was reading about the millions of grinding stones and other prehistoric utensils. Isn't that like his that
2: favorite dating app?
0: Grind, yeah. <laughs> Will you grind grinder stone <laughs> oh, with man. me. Grindr? Is it
2: like the geologist? No grinder. Oh. Netflix What's and that? Grind. I don't know what that is. Stones. Isn't, that, What's isn't that, is that a, a male dating yeah, site? Just, is it really mm-hmm. for oh. males on males? <laughs> okay. Well, that explains why I had had no experience with it. That's so, not true. That's right. Look that's look at that's him not
1: he doesn't know. That's
2: not what he told me
1: in a private email. He said he said don't tell anyone into others,
2: <laughs> people's doo-doo makers yeah
1: that's he, he <laughs> said he would say that so don't let anybody mm-hmm. fool you you said you would say that in front of people I did? yeah oh. in your private email I'm not already. ready yeah. I'm not ready okay. when you're ready we're here for you <laughs> okay we support you <laughs> But yes, going back.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, so, do y'all remember me mentioning Clive Oppenheimer? Yes. yes. Um, so, I actually watched this documentary of his, and in it, researchers found, like, loads of obsi- obsidian in Urta Ale in Africa.
1: Hey, speaking of Urta Ale, that was actually, I. that was one of a test question that I had. or well, it wasn't a test question, oh. but just was one of the test answers. Oh. Like, it was, like, see Urta Ale. Nice.
0: Urta. Right. Anyways, no, I like yeah, go to, ahead. I like to say to Ali" because yeah. that's how that's how the documentary guy says it. Anyway, so it turned out to be a tool making area or like uh, a tool shed, yeah, shop, yeah. Uh, anyway, in the film, the director Werner Herzog himself commented that the shed, like, it just seemed so out of place because it was surrounded by like vast amounts of sand and it appeared like no one could live there. Yeah. So they asked why the shed was there and all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All so just in all places, yeah. So <laughs> like with Brian's uh, paintings and grinders. <laughs> (laughs) and your stone (laughs) utensils and tools. Mm. Uh, They are all these records from a not-so-remote past of lost vegetation and abundant life, so in places that enjoyed very different climatic conditions than those that exist today, so which, like the most things, require us to think about a time, I guess, if you will, like back in the processes that were happening then, and even the landscape or, you know, the climate then, and there are different than they are now, so we have to kind of make believe and reconstruct the past in our heads when we talk about this stuff, so...
2: Yeah. And today's arid regions were once, you know, theaters of the greatest environmental upheavals to occur on the surface of the earth in the last 10,000 years. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, deserts that nearly disappeared a few millennia back, they've reconquered immense territory and basically in a short amount of time, like a few hundred years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also the, the scale of this phenomenon
1: is comparable only to what happened in the temperate regions at the end of the last ice age. Mm-hmm. So when we see that the glaciers begin to withdraw and unlike areas affected by glaciations, these desert regions were densely populated. It was precisely in those times that the sheep rearing first emerged in a part of Africa while agriculture started to take hold and began to
2: spread into Asia. Well, climate change and the ensuing aridity had dramatic effects. You bet it did. Yeah, on the humans and their communities and it primed migrations, uh, extinction of cultures, and then distinct kinds of cultural adaptation to new environments.
1: Yeah, yeah, and keep in mind that the the desert we see today is the result of a series of geomorphologic phenomenon that primarily involves solar and wind energy, uh, with mm-hmm. water playing out a small secondary role. So, right, water is usually the, the the great equalizer, but in this case, it's not. So, working jointly, these primary factors govern the existence of the two known types of landscapes. And first are the the sea of dunes or ergs or edians, <laughs> edians, however you say that word, as they are so often called. Uh, but I'm uh, not to me. And two rocky deserts or and what, what we see in them are typical features and characteristics that can really be identified, which would really appear dissonant with the morphological processes in effect today that began
2: when <gasps> the dessert had more water. Wow. Psst. Okay. Well, okay, you're, <laughs> so you're saying Rocky Mountain Masses, right? Yeah, yeah, not we, Rocky Mountain oysters. Yeah, <laughs> we would think of the Central Saharan Massifs or the Tassali Akkous,
1: <laughs> which so <laughs> so that that reminds me. Have you ever seen Monty Python's the the Life of Brian? Yeah, it's about me. When the, the oh. yeah, Brian. Yeah, but like so the emperor, he's like yeah, he, he fucked with the lift. Like anybody else? <laughs> Anybody else feel a little
2: <laughs> giggle
1: <laughs> when
0: I say the
1: name
2: Biggith,
0: <laughs> Oh, Biggith,
2: Ticketh?
0: I certainly do get a little giggle.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little
1: a little tickle for the giggle. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. All right, all back right back well, it. okay. Okay. <clears throat> so you have the, a caucus? Yeah. I mean, you, the have caucus, a caucus. Uh, you have a caucus? You have a caucus. I have a caucus. I have a caucus.
0: He's trying to <laughs> find someone. Grinder.
2: <laughs> I am. That's my main goal. <laughs> <laughs> Screw the podcast.
1: Monolithic tools.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I have a caucus, <laughs> uh, but okay, I also have message. You have a hogger, me
0: <laughs>
1: you have a Misack, a caucus,
2: and a Hogger.
1: <laughs> oh, you can't make this stuff up.
2: <clears throat> so together with my caucus, Misack, and <laughs> my hawker. <hogger, laughs> these are all characterized uh, by bringing it back to desserts Uh, and not my caucus. Uh, That's a desert. (laughs) That is. I mean, that's kind of a dessert. It's a desert. (laughs) Okay. uh. (laughs) Okay. Certain <laughs> geomorphologic features, they date back to the late tertiary here and were, they're remnants of a tropical climate. They prevailed back then. And these these basic features are inselbergs and surrounding pediments, peneplains, and even remains of ancient laterite soils. Right. Stupid clay stuff. So You boring. love it. Uh, and a forest of rock pinnacles. Um, valleys and canyons that furrow these mountain masses.
0: Maybe you want to look for evidence of ancient fluvial networks of this.
2: Yeah. And what you would find here are ancient fluvial networks that are far larger than today's scarce water resources um, in the region today would yield. Right, and then, because
1: like right now I think kind of a geomorphological of deserts, right? And yeah. then the, the mountain landscapes, as they rarely do, do not really lend themselves to prevailing evidence of the humid climate in the upper and middle Holocene. So today's geomorphological uh, agents of erosion and the degradation of walls by gravitational action, really, they're going to tend to really cancel more recent morphological and sedimentary evidence, especially from the quaternary because these are generally made of unconsolidated particles.
2: Yeah, and then there are actually karst cavities and spacious uh, rock shelters that came to be you formed. You have
0: a karst cavity.
2: Yeah, oh, you yeah. do. <laughs> I do.
0: I'm sorry we're picking on you today. <laughs> I
2: know. <it's>, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the blowing Just cave. leave me and my caucus and, my <laughs> and your cavities. And your spacious
0: uh, rock shelters. Spacious.
2: Shelter. <laughs> Sounds like a good place to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the the rock shelters, they were formed and they're relics of tertiary morphogenesis. And these developed with the dissolution and hydrolysis of siliceous sandstones and originated, you know, at the same time of the so, so-called uh, stratification joints and fractures that were caused by dissolution and rock falls. And these places have um, the most significance in a geologic study of the area since the caves have protected and preserved bits of deposit from erosion. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Okay, hold the phone. Friends. Okay, I've got a question. Uh, so, as a listener of your show. I've been wondering about like the difference between silica, quartz, etc. So for an example, I read researchers like looked at gypsum and quartz-based sands from the Monahan, um, Monahan's, Monahan's Dunes and discovered that quartz <laughs> is heavier. Um, so it's not easily moved by Aeolian processes. Uh, so silica seems to be like a part of many important geological processes and features. So just wondering why.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so we can answer that. Silica is basically a common. Compound of silicon and oxygen. Yeah, that's arranged in a tetrahedron, which is weird because that's S basically your you Yeah, it's but you weird. you see SiO two as silica. But yeah, these make up the mineral quartz. But it can also be in, like, biological systems and, and stuff like that.
1: Diatones, radiolarians.
2: Yeah, yeah. But it makes up quartz when arranged specifically. And basically, it's, it's covalent bonds that attach one silicon atom to four oxygen. But three-dimensionally, it becomes SiO2 because of how they're linked together. Mm-hmm. Um, silica compounds, they're also included in all silicate minerals. So go look up Bowen's reaction series, and I won't dive into that. So when you say, like, a basalt has a weight percent of, like, usually they'll have that basalt, like, Diagram. It'll have less than whatever, like you know, fifty percent silica. It's the amount of silica in all the chemistry. Okay. So you, you wouldn't be looking for a quartz phenocryst or in the ground mass. It would be tied to whatever. Mm. Um. But then you get into, like, orosilicates, nesosilicates, and you start to get more Inosilicates. complex. Inosilicates. Yeah, yeah. I know. Phylosilicates. Yeah, but, um, and you are right, so gypsum is going to be lighter than quartz. I would just say that it's not, quartz isn't as easily moved. And gypsum's
1: a hydrated sulfate, so yeah. calcium hydrated sulfate. Yeah. It's not even a silica. Yeah. Okay. It, it's a hydrogenous sediment that precipitates out before halite because it's less soluble it's in ocean water. Mineral. It's an evaporite.
2: Yeah, when the water goes away.
1: It's coming from the chemistry of the waters, not the <laughs> yeah okay. Anyways, back to desserts. I hope that answered your question in a very not roundabout She's way. She's like that was. She's really like what the terrible. fuck are yeah, you talking I, about? I'm
0: like okay, so it's shape that makes it important, or a solid, it's arrangement. A solid but the arrangement.
2: key is silica is silicon and oxygen, and there it has to form the compound, which in its primal state is a tetrahedron, and that's how the shape is. But it can fit in with other atoms and ions okay. to make but other they minerals bonds or in or between stuff. it. Yeah, okay. it's yeah. So the covalent bonds usually covalent that's all
1: so okay so also um at least okay also, at last, ten mil million <laughs> couldn't figure hey, it out. Hey,
0: pay attention to the comments. <laughs> yeah.
1: Also, at least 10 millennia of that region's climatic history can be reconstructed from an analysis of its terrain. So the, the recovery of archaeological data also lends weight to such studies since many of those deposits contain the traces of human passage in the form of stone structures, hearths, accretions of organic material that hold relics of the epoch's artisans, including pottery, stone age tools, uh, grinding stones and
2: other materials yeah uh and some of the
1: <laughs>
2: some of the, oh. the most significant galleries of prehistoric art especially saharan are found in the walls of these caves and rock shelters yeah um but they're they're in the form of paintings and graffiti in Labius. labias, labias? <laughs> mm. labias? No. hey i've got one of those yeah we're it's talking about libya. it's libya dang it i was like <laughs> This doesn't. But sound it when it went away with all this stuff. I so didn't want to, Hey, maybe they named a region. Just go up. with it. In <laughs> as is in the labia's, uh, <clears throat> there's a gorge or wadi called the tissue nut <laughs> It occurs across the Akkous Mountains. Travertine deposits in the form of rock slides and massive, massive uh, stalactite curtains. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> that developed where the two rock strata meet. They've been observed in some of Wadi's high valley caves.
0: Did you mean Wadi's
2: bodies?
0: <laughs> did you mean? I meant twatties. Did you
1: mean twatties? Good gorge. Good gorge. Uh so how uh, so we know travertine is created by a sedimentary process typical of water rich environments where water is concentrated in hydric cisterns in these mountain masses following long periods of strong and constant rains.
2: Yeah, and it's uh just calcite, yeah. basically. Yeah, fun little calcite slicky stuff. But as we've mm. mentioned, mm. um <laughs> conditions today are radically different. CACO3. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The tissue net is an extremely arid region with no more than three quarters of an inch of rainfall every year. (laughs) <laughs> the travertine here, uh, it <laughs> appears to have formed about 10 to 14,000 years ago and that indicating that the most intense period of rain in the Saharan region fell between the end of the, the lower Pleistocene and the Holocene.
1: Right. But the, the more articulated stratigraphic secessions are preserved in big caverns or caves that are left over from the vast tertiary karstic systems. So the mm-hmm. the, the famous 10 Hanukkah ten cave in Algerian Tassili, for example, contains a 16 foot thick stratigraphic. Secession and documents that humans frequented this place with uh, regularity during the long intervals, if you will, of time from the Mesolithic to the late pastoral stages.
2: Uh, ground sediments of Aeolic sands dating to the upper Pleistocene have been found in a uh, stratigraphic sequence along the huge Af- Afuda <laughs> cavern. <laughs> <laughs> and in the Uin Tabu rock shelter in Libya, yeah, uh, and uh, those red-colored sands they contain no organic substances. Right, their analysis shows that the area was a desert in the early Pleistocene, and which coincides with the apex of glaciers in the middle latitudes, and didn't differ much from today's environmental conditions.
1: Right, and then the the, the, the sands did, however, contain chipped stone objects affiliated with the uh, Mustarian and Atarian cultures, which prove that humans did in fact frequent this desert area in Paleolithic times. Mm -hmm. Then with the upper part of the stratigraphic sequence there contains really this Holocene deposit when looking at it. And that contrasts with the older sediments in color, consistency, and actually foreign matter altogether. So
0: dark colored deposits in desert?
2: Yeah, so the dark colored deposits instead are actually rich in organic material and especially vegetable ash and carbonaceous fragments linked to prehistoric hearths. Which is kind of weird, right? Yeah. um, Other than narrating, you know, the climatic status of Epoch's past, studying the caves, that'll reconstruct the events, the customs, and the habits of the ancient populace. And Among those
1: findings are the, the windbreak shelters in Libya's Uen Afuda cavern, so large hearths and posts from a habitation in the UN Tabu, and drystone walls in the Tin Torah cave, large vegetal deposits dominated by the, the remains of herbaceous plants, uh, were neither burned nor associated with the copper lights found in the region.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shit happens.
1: Yeah, copper light happens. <laughs> yep. It yeah. does. That's kn- really interesting. You uh, know, what copper lights are what. You know what copper lights are? Fossilized feces. Doo-doo.
0: Okay, I knew I was like he was leading me somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> like the billions.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The two, two L's. See? Two L's. Starting else. to
2: catch on. It's a thing. Slowly.
0: Yeah. So I then imagine that like an accumulation of vegetable debris. It leads me <laughs> to believe that it was possibly carried into the cave by humans with the objective, in all likelihood, of laying up orage for animals, tasty. Uh,
1: yeah, I think that was the case, especially <laughs> with the large. <laughs> Quantity of sheep and goat manure, like mm. in this in the studies that we were reading, suggesting that uh, one of the most ancient attempts to, to domesticate the animals <laughs> happened in the cave that we're talking about. So that the same type of goat, the almachar the alamotrago larvia, actually still survives today, but in a wild state in the Saharan massive.
2: Fun facts also contain sediments that date back to the early Holocene, or contain relics of the EPA Paleolithic. What'd you just say? Epipale- <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> E-P paleolithic.
2: Oh my god. Epipaleolithic and Mesolithic cultures that <laughs> are relatively quite rare. Yeah. Caverns containing remnants of pastoral civilizations, they're far more numerous and developed from eight to third millennia, which their deposits are strongly influenced by the presence of humans.
1: Since these are lost over time, they provide a really a formidable source of paleoecological data, but the the black sands are interesting. Interesting. So they are um, at the base of the secession, are going to require a humid environment to transform the organic matter into hummus. I always say hummus. Hummus. (laughs) Well, we're
2: talking about desserts. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the organic matter into hummus. And then the the circulation of solutions in the sediments also attests to the presence of the patinas and Mm -hmm. chalky concretions. Patina. Yeah. (laughs) The Statue Uh. of Liberty is every time I think of patina, the Statue of Liberty. Why it's blue? Blue.
2: Because it's made out of copper.
1: Yeah. Or if you see old, like, copper, they're all, like, greenish. Only
2: minimal or completely absent bacterial activity brought about by constant environmental iridity aridity. Yeah. Constant environmental aridity can explain the perfect uh, preservation of the manure found um, at the top of the sequence.
1: And what's more, identical sedimentary layers are common in the entire central Saharan cavern. So, uh, palynological stratigraphy or the analysis of pollen in the sediments studied in the Mathindush cavern confirms this paleoclimatic uh, kind of tendency.
2: Yeah, and in particular, the base of the sequence of the black sand deposits can Contain pollens from the forested savanna typha. It's a plant that requires a lot of water to survive.
1: Yeah, then right, then moving along and up this um, stratigraphic column, right, towards the top instead and especially in the nearly surficial manure, the, the pollens of humid plants are progressively replaced by the, the vegetations of steppes, which are just semi-arid environments. But today, of course, the environments are completely desertified and there is virtually no vegetation at all.
0: Are there any other features where We would want to keep an eye out for it.
2: Uh, I'd say um, a typical feature of the mountainous dessert areas. Yeah, yeah, I would say uh, that too. And the the adjacent rock plateaus called Hamadas. Hamadas. Uh, it's going to be this black surface. It's created by dessert varnish. Yeah. It's very yummy and it's a very thin patina found particularly in practically every dessert in the world. Powder coating on it. It's the special sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I didn't even mean that to be bad.
0: He looked at me when he said it.
2: I did not. I looked at your microphone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: (laughs) um pat tina Mm
2: -hmm. patina we got a pat tina
0: (laughs) hi i'm pat
1: tina (laughs) pat tina just your normal uh,
0: patina i'm pat (laughs) i'm pat tina
1: (laughs) okay so yeah so um when we think of patina it's almost like a crust that is only really a few microns thick and preferably Mm -hmm. develops on rocks that are really most resistant to wind erosion like sandstone or lava granites right? And then even to a lesser extent, some limestone. So it's why they take on this kind of dark black color. And yep. it's black color and sometimes metallic appearance are due to the composition of the patina itself, whose primary components in this
2: case are manganese and iron hydroxides, giving yeah. it that black color. Yeah. A wine-borne dust, specifically the bacteria that concentrate manganese in the dust and in the rock, they attach themselves to uneven rock surfaces. They create this this dessert varnish. Yeah, uh, The bacteria, they, don't, they can't really live in an overly humid condition which favor competitor organisms like lichen or moss or in very arid conditions because they're they're suppressed by the alkalinity of the dust and by the complete absence of water.
1: Yeah, I liken that explanation.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got it. Okay. I have a
0: question though. Okay. So there's like this place, I don't know where, where it's like it's super hot, it's acidy. but isn't there, is there not bacteria in there? Yeah,
1: yeah there is, but this is like okay. those are like archaea bacteria, they're uh, mm. thermophiles. Are you talking yeah. about like kind of um, like, like Grand Phosphatic spe- Springs up in Maybe. Yellowstone where it's yeah. got like the, the concentrant colors? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah,
2: that's all the bacteria the different genes. biomes. Yeah, yeah, they're the uh, there are these
1: concentric circles of Yeah, but these are different mm. in the in the fact that these are in absence of water. They're
2: not photosynthesizing. Oh maybe they are. Oh. I don't know. I don't think they are. I don't know. I, I would think that well
0: We should ask them.
2: Yeah. I don't know. That's that's beyond me a little bit. Hey guys, I'm Pat Tina. <laughs> I'm a, a varnish <laughs> <laughs> that's our new character, Pat Tina. <laughs> I love it. Oh God, we all need like uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll have Pat Tina split personality. Hey, like we each need
0: one. <laughs> oh, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> what was that? What did you say? <laughs> was that you, you? Which
2: one? I said this is Pat Tina. Not talking. What did Pat. I say? I'm yeah, that was him. That's that's Cobalt. It's Cobalt. He lives in the mines. <laughs> He brings the young men. <laughs> I, I'm Cobalt.
1: You haven't heard Cobalt yet. Oh you God, we we'll have to get have to, get to uh, the Cobalt, uh, the Coney Island baby episode. We need episode. to make a shirt with Cobalt. Oh yeah! yeah. Wow, he's what's, we <laughs> he's <have> what's <laughs> blowing the caves. Is, yep. I Cobalt. <laughs> I'm so scared, Cobalt. <laughs> <laughs> She's crying. He is. <laughs> yes, okay. If you want an a example and locale for the family.
2: Cobalt, can you bring James back? I'm hungry for deserts. Desserts. <laughs> I'm hungry for deserts. Okay,
1: so a good example and locale for the development of a desert varnish is the, the Masak Plateau in Central Sahara, which appears almost entirely black since it's uh, systematically covered by desert varnish despite its composition of light-colored sandstones. So what what's really interesting here is that the, the varnish in this area is ancient and is no longer being created. So the varnish is done doing its thing. So in fact, the, the rocks that have fallen from the edges of the wadi or twatty in your case <laughs> in recent landslides and the cracks that furrow its walls and wind abraded surfaces do not exhibit any patina. So you crack it open the fresh surface and it
2: just looks like regular old sandstone. Yeah. Under microscope You and microscopes. Yeah, yeah. I love those. I have it now on my signal chain. No, <laughs> I posted that a story the other day of me playing something. And they're like, what does the microscope do? It magnifies my, it That's, intensifies. That's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> magnifies frequency. Uh, but yeah, so under exam the structure of the dessert varnish, it's really complex. It has they've they've decided it has three separate layers.
0: That's three. Um oh no, stop please. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna dream about I'm cool, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> three that? layers in the uh dessert varnish. Yep. Um so uh <laughs> the deepest of them. <clears throat> Is the surface of the rock altered by water? Above it is manganiferous patina. So, hey, I I'm Pat Tina. <laughs> <laughs> needs a voice like that. <laughs> hey, I'm Pat Can you give me a nice pat? Do you <laughs> Okay, Um I just try cuz you see Pat Tino's with his cigarette. Yeah.
1: <laughs> just cigarette hanging out You're like, hey. yeah, it's
2: like <laughs> He's just moving up yeah, and down. Yeah. And just a bottle of Budweiser. Oh, yeah. Like warm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> That patina is the middle layer. It's manganiferous. Then it's covered by a, a thin veil of quartz dust. Sounds stupid. <laughs> but uh, so each of the three layers has um, a different environmental meaning. Okay. Are you? <laughs> yes. I'm really glad. Come on, came back, you know? Me too. Yeah. Well, okay for so long. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming out. The weathering of the rock at the base of the patina must have required humid environmental conditions in which the walls could take in abundant precipitation. So as the manganiferous patina formed later, as aridity increases and the last layer of the dust was finally deposited under the auspice of the current desert conditions.
1: And by correlating the, the patina to carbon-dating funerary monument, monuments. <laughs> we <laughs> we know that it took the shape between 4,500 and 5,000 years ago when the area was changing into a dessert.
2: That's a long patina. Yeah.
1: And the environment was transformed from a water-rich forested savanna into an arid steppe that preceded the ultimate desertification.
2: <laughs> the study of the dessert varnish, it also carries significant consequences in the dating and paleo-environmental interpretation of the prehistoric Saharan art, and which which has one of its major concentrations in MESAC.
1: Yeah, dude. <laughs> okay, so the, the oldest incision depicts large savanna animals, including elephants, rhinoceroses, giraffes, ostriches, crocodiles, hippopotamuses, and corpus. <laughs> and their, maybe I did, and their grooves are corroded and coated by the same dense black varnish found on natural rock surfaces. So the, the the etchings here from the later ancient pastoral culture also portray domestic animals, but have a fresh, younger furrow. And they are still covered with a black patina, So which is a little lighter at times than that of the natural surfaces.
2: Mm. Yeah, and finally, the groups of etchings that belong to the recent pastoral culture, which also portrayed domestic animals, but... But with more synoptic style, they're free of the black varnish and they're veiled instead by a thin reddish alteration. I wonder what that could be. And
1: those more recent etchings are from the the, the proto-historic and historic ages in which drawings of camels and warriors armed with shields and swords appear. Right. So along with writings in the the Tifanag alphabet do not show any surface alterations at all. So what we're seeing here is kind of this cool thing going on.
2: Yeah. So really, the the varnish signals a chronological and paleo environment environmental demarcation among uh the different groups of graffiti the two oldest groups uh, ancient wild fauna and ancient pastoral belong to the beginning of the holocene um and they were inscribed when the area still had and enjoyed a humid climate
1: yeah, so in particular, the group of the ancient wild fauna etchings with its corroded grooves passed through a long period of humidity during which the walls of rock were subject to active weathering. So the the late pastoral graffiti lacked a black pack, patina and were etched after arid conditions had already been established and were long suited to
2: patina formations. <laughs> <laughs> Numerous graffiti with a red patina <laughs> indicate that what, after... What voice
0: would red patina have?
2: Patina. Hey, okay, this yeah. is regular patina. I can be red patina when I wear the red dress. <laughs> yes, you can. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, so red patina, indicate that after eridification occurred, the ancient transportation routes were not abandoned, but they were frequented by groups of shepherds, even though climate conditions were getting a lot more challenging.
1: Yeah, right. And all this is super interesting, right? So, almost like how Dale took the, the cultural clues and combined them with the geologic tools to tell kind of this this yeah. cool story. So, I mean, it's super neat. Neato, pedito.
0: Yeah, I was thinking back to Dale, too. I think in one of the episodes, he said something like, Ancient peoples were really the first geologists. So that's really cool. Yeah. I like that. How about we kind of outline where we would find desserts more globally? Like, where might a dessert be formed and why and distinguish? Characteristics. Tell me all the things.
1: You're gonna get all the things, right? So, okay. So, a geographically speaking, geographic positions and the distance from the sea and other humid zones define the continentality of a region. So, every zone west of subtropical regions is thus uh, delineated and governed by moisture-free winds. And it's really these dynamics of cyclonic atmospheric circulation that are important, as they are responsible for the precipitation itself. And and for a territory's or orography, right, that's weird. I'm always thinking of like orogenies, but uh, a territory's <laughs> orography, uh, which is simply the branch of physical geography dealing with the mountains, yeah. mountains.
2: <laughs> uh, temperature is another distinguishing characteristics of desserts. Monthly averages are often extreme. So highs hit 60 to 70 degrees centigrade or 140 to 158 degrees Fahrenheit. It's pretty hot. Yeah, in hot desserts and lows around negative 30 degrees centigrade or negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit in cold winds. That's colder than my wife's uh, heart. But even like in the difference in temperature <laughs> between the ground and the overlying air will provoke turbulent movement of the irregular winds. Right. Sorry, and that was me. Yeah, way to go. We all felt it. <laughs> A fart of the irregular winds that act as erosive and transporting agents.
1: Yeah, and then really this aridity of a region can also be influenced by the albedo, which is the difference between the solar irradiation that strikes the surface and the radiation reflected into the atmosphere from that same surface, right? So some some other factors that might contribute to the formation of desserts are its tectonic structural makeup and the lithology of its rock substrate.
2: Empirical formulas are actually used to distinguish an arid environment from a semi-arid environment and one of these defines the aridity index denoted by the letter I I uh, <laughs> I Boy. which is derived from a ratio between precipitation and evapotranspiration evapotransp- yeah uh, calculated on an annual basis. Other index of the
1: aridity considers the average annual precipitation, which is P, and then temperature, which is T. So the formula would be expressed <laughs> as I equals P of a T plus 10. <laughs> right. So again, so I equals P over T plus 10, where an I value of 10 or less defines an arid climate, right? Then the desserts, if you will, have a values of five or less, whereas the semi desert zones Have t values of between five and ten. All arid if it has that ah yeah yeah, ah. Uh,
2: a UNESCO study based on all these parameters, right? Right. Values and characteristics it. It concluded that desserts and semi desert zones exist in at least 53 countries or areas on the planet, excluding the polar zones, which would merit a separate treatment. Desserts are distributed across the band of territory between latitudes of 15 degrees and 40 degrees north and south. Yeah, so it's really cool. Yeah.
0: So basically, in. depending on their geographic position and other characteristics, such as temperature, uh, temperature is how desserts get subdivided into various types.
1: No. I mean, were you not listening?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: kidding. I'm kidding. Precisely. I was, <laughs> I was like,
0: holding your burp, man. You can do this.
1: <laughs> well, <that's hilarious. laughs> she, she, she's like, oh fuck. Well, no, 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 but. No, no. <laughs> No, but, but precisely. Did you fuck
0: me up right there? Is that <laughs> oh, on purpose? No, no, no. That's good. That's
2: good.
1: No, so precisely. So, so, so like what? Shit. I'm just fucking with you like on. The, I'm riffing right now. Okay. So which we arrive at three main categories, each containing more I'm precise. I'm
0: like decisions. trying to be on my toes for cobalt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: like. So what we do have is hot desserts. We have tr- transitional desserts and we have cold desserts. But you were right. I was just
2: messing with you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 she was too no, serious. She's, she's like, oh, like, my God. What? <laughs> she was... Oh, good, good. Oh, good. Okay, four point <laughs>
0: seven. How are you so good at that?
2: I don't uh, At what? It's cobalt. It's because it's, it's
1: it's cobalt, not me. Yeah, you don't see him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have. I'm hidden in the cave. You can't see me. <laughs>
0: I Make mean, Cobalt happy.
1: Oh
2: God!
0: You're just gonna have to read that now. <laughs> Make Cobalt happy.
1: But before we go any further, I say we do a little bit of beach cleanup things, and then yeah, a little no. bit of mineral minute. Mineral. Uh, mineral minutes. Mineral. Uh, Raddadad. Mineral,
0: mineral. 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 I love Raddadad. <laughs>
2: <Everyone loves rabbitite.
1: laughs> this week's mineral minute is brought to you by the hydrated calcium magnesium urinal carbonate <laughs> rabbitite
2: rabbitite's chemical formula is ca3 mg3 uo2 co 360 4 and 18 water atoms it's a big mineral yeah
1: big one. oh rabbitite <laughs> is a brittle mineral that occurs as needle-like crystals or acu-curcular, acu-curcular. acicular acicular <laughs>
2: <laughs> please put that at the end acting
1: or a <laughs> it can occur in fibrous masses. <laughs>
0: Or it occurs by means of efflorescence, crystals covering matrix generally produced from transpiro evaporation.
2: <laughs> Rabbitite is a translucent, pale green to greenish yellow mineral with a silky luster. I like your voice. Yeah.
0: Rabbitite has a hardness of 2.5 mm. and a specific mm. gravity of hardness. 2.7. <laughs> no, two, <laughs> 2.57. <laughs> specific gravity of 2.57.
2: <clears throat> Rabbitite was m- named by Mary E. Thompson, Alice D. Weeks, and Alexander. Sherwood in 1954 after John Jack Charles Rabbit, who is a geochemist of the United States Geological Survey.
1: Yes, and rabbitite displays perfect parallel to the C axis. Under a microscope, (laughs) the crystals show a cleavage across the fibers, Mm. which is probably parallel to the 001 plane.
0: And also two easy and perfect prismatic cleavages.
1: Rabbitite is biaxial positive. And rabbitite's type locality is from the Lucky Strike Number 2 mine, San Rafael Swell Mining District, Emory County of Utah of the good old U.S. A. Mm. Capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for next week's mineral, Pet mineral. I, yep. You said it right. I did. You said it great. Okay. So we've talked about what and how desserts do and how humans interacting in them are and things and stories and more things mm-hmm. and long stuff. But I say now we turn our attention a little bit to the, the weathering aspects, yeah? So I yeah. found it um, interesting that the, the desserts are characterized by two kinds of surface topography, right? So the, the desserts on shields called platforms and the other being basin desserts.
2: And platforms are typically exceptionally stable zones with limited tectonic activity, such as the plains of Africa and the Sahara and South Africa and most of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, parts of Asia, India, and then Australia as well.
1: Yeah, then these shield deserts are going to be dominated by erosional surfaces that are often established on rocks of volcanic origin found at the base of stratigraphic sequences as in Western Australia and Southern Africa or on wide shallow basins like the drainage area of Lake Eyre in Australia or Lake Chad in Africa.
0: Yeah, and a third platform consists of surfaces that developed on horizontally layered sedimentary rocks like the plateaus of Colorado and Central Asia or on the outcrop of Nubian sandstone in North Africa. Yeah. Uh, So the origin of these plains is not connected to their current aridity.
1: But their topography (laughs) features include deep canyons in plateau regions of Colorado or in northern Nambia and only locally elevated isolated hills called Inselbergs forged by fires of hell. Yeah. No. No, I was just (laughs) kidding. kidding about that. But no, but they're rather foreign by the differential erosion. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Intra mountain basin deserts are dominated by a succession of mountains and troughs, uh, often characterized by intoric, which is a closed draining system. Yeah. They're common in active seismic areas. So your Southwestern U S <clears throat> seriously. Put that in there. I just added a C to that word. I know. Arid littorals of Chile and Peru and <laughs> Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and a portion of Central Asia.
0: Does that word offend you? So special and sometimes unique
2: morphologies are found
1: within various environments. So they, they may occupy small areas or limited zones, but are always, as mentioned earlier, invariable linked to three basic elements. So you have the climate, you have the geology, and the age of the surface itself.
0: Desert surfaces are subject to weathering and mass Mass wasting (laughs) processes. (laughs) The most frequent are atmospheric, mechanical, and chemical in origin and are described more broadly as we move forward. Yeah.
1: So the the shapes they they engender are found in many desserts. So however different and far from one another uh, they may be. So the similar similar morphologies do not guarantee however that the the same geologic mechanisms generated them. So for instance, on the ground uh, different processes can give rise to comparable forms in different places starting from different beginnings akin to i guess you could think of convergent evolution Mm. kind of like in biology
2: yes and okay so weathering affects both rock outcroppings and the detritus uh, made up of sand cobbles um, and it's you know characterized by being surficial and selective Hmm. the surficial nature of this weathering is because water infiltration and temperature variations don't penetrate very deeply sadly but whereas weathering in humid climates affects a considerable thickness of rock i'll tell you who's
1: not surficial and is not very selective patina Uh-huh. She doesn't care. <laughs> take okay. what she can get. Yes, yeah, she does. And she takes it <laughs> without asking. Okay, so the selectivity <laughs> of atmospheric weathering derives instead from the fact that desert rocks are exposed rather than covered by soil or vegetation. So really these lithologic and structural characteristics of rock control their weathering. Thus, fractures, faults, crystal edges, and other planes of weakness exposed at a rock surface tend to direct concentrate and control the processes of its degradation.
0: Then finally, an alteration varies according to the <laughs> rock's exposure which depends in turn upon local variations of temperature and humidity. Correct. So surface rocks are subject to phenomena of splintering, um, desquamation or exfoliation, if you will. Yeah. Breakage and granular um, disaggregation. The final result is the creation of huge quantities of debris.
2: Large. Large. Huge. The splintering or the shattering into a coarse angular flakes and breakage, pebbles and spherical blocks that Look like they were split by an axe. Hi, okay. Yeah. Uh, they happen in various kinds of rock, but rarely in rough grained igneous rocks. Yeah. Split rocks have been reported in many, many desserts, and salt crystals are often observed along the fracture plate
0: Fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> you- <laughs> <laughs> Do you really know how to pronounce this word? I don't. Okay, <laughs> De-squ- <laughs> No, <laughs> desquamation or <laughs> hold on. <laughs> fun, fact. De- fun fact: desquamation or the formation of flakes. I love desquamation. Skin peeling? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it says. Flakes, yeah. Yeah. Flaking off. Um, <laughs> or the formation of flakes parallel to the surface can occur in on isolated boulders where it is called onion peeling or across entire outcroppings of rock.
1: Fun facts. So to occur at all, the, the material must expand somewhat in response to fluctuating temperatures. So second foreign substances such as ice, salt, or roots that are likely to be present must expand. Band, and
2: finally, uh, one of the several chemical changes must occur. So such as water absorption by colloidal substances, hydration of oxidation of silicates. Exactly, man. Something yeah, right? you got it. Okay. Sweet titties.
0: <laughs> Sweet peaks.
2: <clears throat> then pre-existing discontinuities caused by um, infiltration and in turn give rise to a chemical change. Right. This flaking-esque process is probably the main cause of natural arches and sandstones. Very beautiful. But they're created when rocks are laminated horizontally with vertical fractures and then few of their horizons are uh, less resistant. Significant examples can be observed in the southern Utah. So them bitches be sweet. Sweet, Yeah. Uh, Granular disintegration or rocks breaking into single crystals occurs normally in any polycrystalline rock, including phaneritic igneous rock and metamorphic rock it's caused uh, by chemical and physical processes breaking down the rock but it all always involves rocks in which you know at least some of the minerals have been chemically altered
1: right and then just remember polycrystalline they're just not monogamous right they have which is hilarious because
2: like a rock has to be
0: Weathering can, <laughs> yeah. weathering can lead us to some of the strange landforms and pe- peculiar features, not necessarily exclusive to dessert, but intriguing nonetheless.
1: I think so, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So I wanted to start with Tafoni the Jabroni. Tafoni being, <laughs> <laughs> being the result of... <laughs> Uh, alveolar weathering or pitting, perforations, and pits.
1: Yeah, and tafoni are kind of like these cave-like formations that are usually several cubic meters in volume and features an arch-like entrance. Their walls are generally swollen and variable, <laughs> easily fractured, and may be suffused with salt. And then really they're, they're, their floors are going to be smooth, nearly horizontal, and covered by detritus.
2: Yeah, and the formations appear generally in groups, uh, having transformed the host rock into uh, <laughs> basically a kind of Gruyere cheese. The surfaces of the caverns and air inside them, they're often colder and more humid with temperatures and relative humidity that fluctuate less than the outside. Basically conditions that facilitate the weathering. I think you also see this like honeycomb sandstones and stuff. Okay, we might be getting to that okay. third hot a shot. Alright, <laughs> sorry. So basically conditions that facilitate <laughs> weathering. Bingo! And we yeah. see uh, Tofoni are in various climate conditions and coastal environments like the Galora and Sardinia senior and in many desserts, including, you know, the Mojave, Sonora, Antarctic, Atacama, Sahara, Saudi Arabian, and Southern Australia. Yeah. And
1: they can also develop in many variety of rocks and have been observed in the agrolites, schists, uh, or slate, porphyry, rhyolite, limestone, sandstones, gneiss, and mm. granite where, uh, the, the most spectacular forms are actually found. Yeah. Certain. Well,
2: however, the origin of Tofoni is, uh, um, the Jabroni. <laughs> <laughs> that's another one, uh, has been somewhat of, uh, a subject of controversy and debate. Salt weathering is most often called to be, to, to account. Certain flared shapes found in the lower section of steep walls on granitic Inselbergs are linked to Tifoni. The jabroni.
0: Then the unique alveoli, which are these small <laughs> hollows, 5 to 50 centimeters or 2 to 20 inches in diameter that form honeycomb structures when they <laughs> appear in groups. Morphologically they are similar to small Tifoni and both forms are sometimes present, but no common origin is implied here.
2: Whoa. Funny story about that. Yeah. Uh, I took a picture off the internet and sent it to an email to this lead engineer for Ray Roberts Dam because we were investigating the um, weathering of the uh, the woodbine sandstone and it was like somewhere like in Utah or something he's, like, completely honeycombed. He goes, is that at the lake? And I was like, yeah, yeah. He was like flipping out and I was like, dude, I'm just kidding. Was, like, <laughs> was, like, he didn't like, he didn't think it yeah, was funny. You're, you're <clears throat> jerking his chain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll pull his rod. I did pull his rod.
0: (laughs) (coughs) And you didn't even have to go to grinder to do it.
2: (laughs) See, I haven't had to use it yet. (laughs) <laughs> okay. okay, alveoli are found in various climates, but the controversial origins of the importance of salt weathering has something to do with the process. Thin partitions that can be relatively resistant to atmospheric weathering separate the individual alveolar pits.
1: Yeah, and weather pits are not uncommon desert shapes. so frequently found on bare horizontal or slightly inclined granite, sandstones, porphyry, and other thick homogenous rocks. Uh, they, they they may be as wide as 15 meters and as deep as four meters. So in plan the, and depending upon structural factors their their shapes are highly variable but often elliptical and circular on horizontal surfaces and asymmetrical on the sloping
2: surfaces. In tr- transverse sections they usually have a flat semicircular base with bulging walls. Yeah. Um, mm. <laughs> cheers for the bulge. Uh, studies <laughs> conducted on Australian granites indicate that the pits take shape through breakage concentrated on points of physical weakness, basically fractures, right? Um, through Surface flaking of the granite or through disintegration by lichen.
1: I wish you would have read it like I mistyped it. The Grantees. Oh crap. <laughs> Australian <you>? Grantees. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: the grantees.
0: Do you want to go for it again? No 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 no, no, no,
1: no, no. no. You can go ahead.
0: Once they are in place, water stagnates in the pits and as a consequence, chemical weathering becomes significant. The bulging shape of the pit walls may occur because water sits on the lower part of the pit longer and continues to alter the rock by penetration. Yes. Alteration by salt at the surface of a terrain near a capillary fringe is the probable cause of structures called zwie- zwiegen <laughs> or pedestal rocks, which were traditionally attributed Exclusively to wine erosion.
1: Right, right, right. And to move things along, we shan't go into rounding and sorting and transportation and all that stuff, but I say we do go into some. Dunes.
2: <laughs> yes, and or dunes, dunes yeah. are basically sands that they form distinct accumulations. <laughs> With well defined morphologies (laughs) that are typical of wine action.
1: Yeah, and uh, these landforms can vary from as small as a foot up to 1,300 feet. (laughs) And construction size of a single Brian's Doodoo Maker across four Brian Doodoo Makers, or roughly a meter, all the way up to a kilometer wide.
0: What's that? Like, 15, maybe 16 Ryan doo makers?
2: Probably. Yeah, probably, but for certain its morphology is closely linked to constant wine action, while its potential for movement is bound to the topography of the substrate, including <laughs> obstacles or vegetation.
1: Yeah, so these dunes can slowly lose their characteristic shapes and mobility when they are colonized by vegetation and soil begins to form following a change in climate, and The size of a dune is defined by three elements, so it's got to deal with the height, width, and the length. Volume, right?
0: They sometimes begin to form where the topographic surface is irregular. Small depressions or minute irregularities or even vegetation can first trap the sand. Then as wine passes from a perfectly flat to a corrugated surface, its velocity immediately drops, its carrying capacity is diminished, and matter is deposited. Dunes.
2: Yeah, dunes can be created by standing accumulations from the sandy residue left by a passing mobile dune and by strong descendant currents that often occur in arid zones. Aimed at the ground, the currents will sweep sand up and then drop it elsewhere in the form of accumulation.
1: Yeah, and then isolated and asymmetrical dunes are created when a wine-bearing grains runs into a patch of sand and in this way, the grains, which had been rebounding vigorously from the hard surface upwind of the the patch, now are striking sand grains in the the patch now. (laughs) So So many
0: grains are now in motion. So many. That the momentum of the wine near the surface becomes too low to sustain grain motion and the sand patch grows. Makes sense. The wine adds to its load (laughs) by lifting particles from the patch. This higher volume and its added weight cause the load to be deposited and a mobile dune is formed.
2: Finally. Movement. Takes place when the deflation occurs on the windward side, giving rise to the phenomenon of erosion. Whoa! Yeah, sands lifted up, pushed upward along the slope by airflows until it reaches the crest, where you know the material will fall, tumbling, accumulating on the leeward side, which usually has a 35-degree slope.
0: The angle of repose for quartz sandstones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the crest advances windward. The entire dune moves forward, keeping its shape and its asymmetry. Enough factors combine to build the dune and there are so many resulting types and shapes that the classification of dunes is difficult. The first and most important factor is wine.
1: Always it's wine. So it's intensity, regularity, and distribution in the course of a day or a year. So I I think of like Lord Tyrion from the Game of Thrones and him always having a glass of wind. Yep,
2: yep, yeah, that wind. Very good. I like it. What's your
1: favorite kind of wind? Um, Malbec. Malbec wind. Do you have a favorite kind of wind?
0: Cran grape.
1: Oh, okay. Cran grape. Uh, it gives me heartburn, <laughs>
2: but I'll, I prefer like a. That would definitely give me heartburn. Yeah, and headaches. Okay, Uh, dunes that form an environment characterized by high wine energy will be larger than those that form where the wine is materially weaker.
1: Yeah, still other factors are atmospheric, stratification, topography of the substrate, the amount of humidity, precipitation, and finally the region's geologic
2: configuration. Even the structure of proto-dunes helps us determine the later development
0: several overriding factors make possible the creation of extended dune fields in general they include the direction of prevailing winds deflation zones along their itinerary where great quantities of sand can be picked up constant and localized repetition of the decreasing wind speeds and finally
1: finally Finally, the presence of pre-existing sandy expanses right so I believe in 1973 geomorphologist uh, G. Wilson calculated that 85% of sands that are Unconsolidated, which therefore
2: are a subject to aeolian transportation and subsequent deposition.
1: Yeah, correct. So they're, they're really they're they're found in accumulation zones, otherwise known as <clears throat> sand seas.
2: Yeah, and Wilson defines sand seas as areas that are at least thirty thousand square kilometers or eleven thousand five hundred and eighty square miles, invariably covered by dunes and subject to constant winds, where the space between one accumulation and the next isn't any wider than the length of the natural wave of the dune itself. Self.
0: another attribute of dune fields is the presence of more than 10 extended dunes in areas smaller than 11,580 square miles.
1: Oddly specific.
0: 45% <laughs> of these areas are found in Asia with 34% in Africa and 20% in Australia.
1: So on to some dune types. So obstacles that have been uh, fastened in place by cementation, arrest and stabilized dune migration. So I, I don't know. I think of dunes in a, in a way that they're just like always moving, but the, the obstacles can be topographic such as rocks, hills and depression or vegetables, in which case the the dunes are called phytogenetic.
2: The latter form around plants that must be at least six inches high before they can seize and hold the, the sand or something. So what sed- you sediment. say, six
1: inches to ride? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So called nebkas, uh, a North African term, phytogenetic dunes are common and grow in size wherever wines are substantially weak. So they grow until they really reach this height where uh, I guess the the wine's velocity is sufficiently strong to recapture a load of transported sand. So the the kind of plant that generates them determines their size
2: <laughs> for example bussies no! sh- no! <laughs> for example <laughs> bussies and shrubs built accumulations up to 16 feet high with a radius about 33 feet <laughs> There are more remarkable nebkas that can reach <laughs> nearly 30 feet uh, in height and then more than a kilometer wide. And they're about 100 years old or what? hundreds, probably. I think you're looking for bushes, not busses. <laughs> uh.
0: Where vegetation is especially widespread, parabolic <laughs> dunes called gar- Garmada take shape. The biggest ones are found in the Thar Desert of India and Pakistan. They are these horseshoe or half moon dunes with their concave side facing the wind.
1: Right, right, As and then the arms of the parabola are stabilized by the vegetation itself. So while the the thicker central part of the dunes is blown down wine, creating a parabolic or hairpin shape.
2: Stabilized dunes and are sand accumulations that can't be remobilized by wine and are in essence blocked out by especially tall obstacles in the terrain or by accumulations that have been subject to cementation of the dune itself. Yeah. So however, you know, vegetation is often the mechanism of stabilization. And
1: then the, the cementation, on the other hand, can happen in response to a climatic change or more frequently during the accretion of the dunes itself. So if the if the sediment's clay content exceeds 15 to 20 percent of all the matter present, there's a good chance actually that the the dune will be anchored by disaggregation and cementation. And this will, um, in turn, it will assume different shapes from those dunes composed of looser sands.
2: And present on the surface of the dune, clays and salt rich sediments dissolve when they're humidified and recrystallized as a rigid crust that ultimately stabilized the accumulations the sand of aeolian origin that suffer this kind of lithification are called aeolianites go figure that's a pretty word It is like that one. So mobile
1: dunes are sand accumulations that can and typically move fairly rapidly and singularly or in groups across the desert surface. Among them, we distinguish transverse dunes which lie perpendicular to the prevailing wine and have a rather low length to width ratio.
2: Yeah, their windward slopes are gradual, where the sand advances by saltation. Yeah, um, the leeward slopes there—that'll be the slip face. They're steeper, where sand moves down slope um, based on or due to gravity. Right, they're asymmetrical uh, with sinuous crests that document the existence of variable wine. So what I
1: think of is saltation is like the 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 ball, like the ping pong ball that goes in. Yeah, that's how I think of it.
0: Transverse dunes often have on their flanks a network of small dunes formed by a wine turbulence. The dunes themselves are of various sizes, occupy 40% of the sand seas in the world's various deserts.
2: Especially in, uh, I think... I think of China or the Sahel or even uh, at Lake Chad, you know, they may assume different morphologies, including dome shaped dunes where the transverse elements are incomplete. They're composed of fine sands. They're basically free of slip faces and they reach no more than usually at, like six feet in height. Yeah.
0: Barkin's the type of dune most familiar to the public, take their name from the Turk word for monument. But they are also known as Ket in Qatar, Rabad in Saudi Arabia, and Cord in Mauritania. Fun fact. Yeah, can you do that in the <coughs> Cobalt? Line?
2: For everyone.
1: <laughs> so they are primarily developed in isolation on the stable surfaces of rocky desserts. In plan, they, they trace a crescent moon whose convex side faces the oncoming winds while its two extremities um, or wings, if you will, trail to the leeward side.
0: Do you mean tips? Yeah, yeah just the, the tips. tips. Yeah,
1: The only, two tips. Only the, yeah. Two
0: Uh, tips. Wow. Lucky. Double the pleasure.
2: In section, the considerable lack of symmetry, which is typical of all the transverse dunes. It's a little crooked. Yeah. yeah, It works. (laughs) The dunes. um, Well, yeah. So that becomes really apparent. The dunes can grow to marvelous heights of more than 330 feet. And they can be as wide as about 1600 feet.
1: Hey, do you know when jokes become dad jokes? Uh, When they become apparent? Oh, man. (laughs)
2: That was good. (laughs) I'm going to use that one. Yeah, you're welcome
0: barkins tend to lose sand from their wings as they move sand continually replaces the lost material so that the dune maintains its size and shape the of sand is thus fundamental and if it were not available the barkin would be destined to disappear
1: or bark hands, yeah. barkins, bar barchans so barkins. uh i don't know that's how I say it but I, I, it's it's like bark and barkin but anyway so it's it's been calculated Barkin-o. that a 10 foot yeah high dunes in the peruvian dune field um, and employs 18 cubic meters of sand every year in this continental cycle of loss and substitution. So uh, the, the the same dune then is completely recycled. Therefore, like every 64 years or so, I want to say, mm-hmm. and then having traveled little over a mile in that in that time span,
2: in places with the same aeolian regime, but you have more sand, Barkins, uh combine into huge landforms called transverse dunes, which they will span 1.8 miles from wing to wing, and Massive. more than yeah, then more than uh, 1.2 miles in length
0: 30 to 60 of <clears throat> most sand seas in the southern hemisphere the sahara and the rubal kali are occupied by linear dunes with limited curvature and asymmetry that lend themselves to the formation of slip faces on both sides they may stretch more than 125 miles long and though rarely <clears throat> 980 feet high so
2: like 42 brian Doodoo doo makers yeah <laughs> Close. <laughs> the orientation of the linear dunes, dunes, <laughs> <Doom. clears throat> parallel to the wine, it prevents the dunes from migrating, even where they're not stabilized by vegetation. So uh, the most mobile element of a linear dune is its crest and causes their movement with time.
0: Linear dunes are quite regular in shape, and a varied terminology exists to describe them. <laughs> they are known as <laughs> <laughs> Safe, sif, Sif, and Silk Fluck Fluck, Fluck me Elb, simul, Gert, Grud Hurric Tibba and Dune Dune and dune Vague Well, the valleys between adjacent dunes are called <laughs> gl- wood uh, T- teart te- fiche <laughs> strat car um omur um- 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 Rab- omur Ram- or cor- corridor yeah you know that, that one. the corridor See, y'all could totally be fucking with me like, hey, like, hey, like let's have hardly <laughs> like name all these things and i'd be like yeah <laughs> geology
1: yeah no those are real words yeah like the the scyth yeah. he has that Ciefs?
0: glimmer in his eyes
1: that's because yeah. i've been crying uh geomorphologists have attempted to explain the processes that create near dunes by examining the principal origin, the repetition and maintenance in space of the same form, their growth,
2: parallelism, and coexistence with other types of dunes. Colonization by plants can be caused by large-scale climatic change or by variations in precipitation or the aeolian regime these changes can take place over a wide span of time and they're evident in the Sahel dunes in western Africa the Kalahari and a few areas of the Australian deserts of the Australian deserts in many other locations
1: so morphological studies have shown that surfaces on the linear dunes lowest slopes are more stable and protected and thus
2: easier to colonize large mobile dunes called stellar or star dunes super cool they match They. mass up to 1,300 feet high at growth rates of over a foot a year or more and have almost unitary length width ratio. They're characterized by slow and limited movements, true mountains of sand. They're really important elements in the desert landscape. Uh, I would imagine so. Yeah.
0: These things. (laughs) These things are also known as augrounds, gourds, barikis, madanos, or demkas, and they are certainly the tallest of mobile dunes. The most famous ones are found in the Chinese deserts, the Lut in Iran, or those in Algeria's Great Eastern Sand Sea, where they cover an area of nearly 4,630 square miles.
1: Yeah, right. And sand dunes assume a very regular distribution in space, and they occur in several variants more elongated in one direction, pyramidal with four arms, rounded off and compact with short layers, or dunes with three or more highly elongated arms. So they really, though, the origin of these structures seem to be linked to the multimodal eolian regimes or winds that are effectively equal in intensity but blow from different and opposed
2: directions and superimpose their load-bearing capacities. All in all, mobile shapes in uh, continual evolution, dunes will animate dessert. desert. And color it with a thousand shades. Sinuous crest with steep slopes on one side. And gentle on the other, they reflect sunlight artfully. Take in some really cool photos. And we even did music videos based on this. Yeah. For our previous record. But um, yeah, they so the shadows give that depth to the landscape. So foreign by secondary wines, the
1: structures include complicated furrows and ripples, animals' imprints, and traces left in the transit of the bushes or tumbling pebbles. Form a boundless ensemble of ingredients that make Sand deserts the most extraordinary places on the planet, Mr. Baggins. Agreed. Coluvium, so, Carly. Yeah.
2: So all this talk of dunes, we've got to talk about the tallest dunes in North America. What? Which are located in Southern Colorado in the great Sand Dunes National Park. Um, they lie in the San Luis Valley, which is bounded by the Sangre de Cristo Mountains on the eastern side. And James, we, uh, we had some fun with the old... Sangro de Cristo Formation long ago. We did. <clears throat> and the uh San Juan Mountains uh bounded on the far western extent and it's you No, know.
1: so like the coolest part, like I just still remember doing the open mic night in oh, in New Mexico and that mountain town.
2: Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. And then the bartender leaving and then We uh, just
2: made our own drinks. What uh Mark like Yeah, Mark he
1: just went back <laughs> there and just started pouring <laughs> beers for everybody. <laughs>
2: Oh, man. It's that true. was so fun. Oh, yeah. You just
1: yeah. got to spend like, what, five weeks in the mountains? <laughs> right. Napping.
2: Yeah. Okay. So the Great Sand Dunes National Park, it's one of my favorites in the U.S. So you have alpine ranges, dessert, creeks, and then these massive dunes. Dunes. Yeah. You can observe many types of uh, dunes, uh, dunes here that are including, and maybe um, Carly could tell us what kind.
0: Oh, okay. You want me to read that part? <laughs> Star dunes. Doo doo dunes, dunes. Par- parabolic dunes. Dunes. dunes, barkin and transverse dunes, dunes. dunes. nebka dunes. dunes, and cool dune features dunes. like the Chinese walls, <laughs> which are ledges formed <coughs> on the ridge of a reverse dune. Dun. That's a lot of dunes, dude.
1: Dude, 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 dude. dunes, <laughs> dunes.
0: Where's my dune? oh that's me (laughs) you're in trouble young
1: man strike three so you may wonder why the largest dunes in North America are in this area of Colorado and we'll get to that uh, if this hasn't been long enough first a little background the Sangre de Cristo mountains are a fault block mountain which allow them to rise sharply from the valley so these mountains have metamorphic rocks dating to the Precambrian but also have Permian Pennsylvanian rocks and and the range was last uplifted during the Laramide Orogeny.
2: Yeah, in the San Juans, they're part of the San Juan volcanic field. Rocks shed from both ranges. They filled the deep basin along with glacial melt and rainwater, which resulted in an ancient lake called Lake Alamosa. It filled the valley before the Rio Grande Gorge was carved. And with that carving, it released that main reservoir. So then much smaller lakes remained, many of which dried up. However, a few still remain today.
1: Yeah, it's sand and sediment continued to come down into the valley from the two ranges. And once that lake Dried up, a sand sheet was left as a relic from the large lacustrine area. Hey, hey, hey! Is for horses.
0: Um, fun fact: of wetlands can be found can, <laughs> can be found in the <laughs> San, San Luis Valley today. <laughs> as faint remnants of the Greater <laughs> Lakes. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's so, and, dark. <laughs> so Lake Alamosa is believed to have dried up about 450,000 years ago, and then these lesser lakes around it—they dried up. That dried up are supposedly the main players where all that sand comes from. That's in this sand sheet,
1: right? And then, dominating southwesterly winds transported that sand into a nice little pocket against the Sangre de Cristo. <laughs> 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 As sand was accumulated there uh, throughout time, intense east storm winds came down over the Sangres. And this is the major, really the major driver in the vertical growth of those dunes.
0: The Madano um. and... Wait, did you want to say something?
1: I just said
2: boom. Boom. Oh.
0: The Madano and sand boom. creeks that flank the dunes play a role in sand recycling. They wash accumulated sand back to the sand sheet in the valley, where the process starts over again. Gradually over time, small bark and dunes travel across the valley and then join the great dune field.
2: Yeah, if you listen to the last ep- episode, it's Morphin Time. Woo, that was a good episode. Yeah, it was. Uh, you heard us bring up OSL, or Optically Stimulated Luminescence, mm. and its applicability. Is that yeah. I- yeah, say it sounds, like that okay i like that <clears throat> to dating fluvial deposits well you may wonder how they estimated the age of the great sand dunes well how about you auditorily
1: uh stimulate us with your creamy
2: dreams voice i i can, I can do that okay oh. yeah osl saves the day again yeah yeah all right well so but <laughs> no, the, keep, going, keep going all right all right i can i can try these dunes are complicated and they have very long period of deposition still happening today to some degree. So OSL dates have ranged from tens of thousands of years to hundreds of years. I'd really hate to be the lab tech in charge of reporting that data. Yes, you would. I can't do it. I'm prime. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's
0: not. Bad. I felt like Batman for a moment, though. <laughs> I'm Batman. Is that what Harvey died for? <laughs> Holy crap.
2: That's pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. Creamy times with <laughs> Brian. Yeah, <laughs> creamy dreams. Oh, God, no. Don't well, that. so that,
1: I guess, is going to wrap it up. Well, it's certainly Certainly sortly, It was a nice, uh, sandy, sandy night. Yeah, there was lots of, um, I wish, though, we would have talked a little bit more about deserts. Okay, well then, until next time, we remind you
2: to
0: Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
2: be cool, stay tuned,
0: and keep it on the rocks.
2: <laughs> Whoa, you kind of rushed Whoa. that
1: one. You rushed Whoa. that one.
0: <laughs> and keep it
1: on the rocks.
0: What are oh, where were you? What are you?
1: you doing? Okay, so until next time, we remind you to be cool, stay
2: tuned,
0: and keep it
2: on, on, the, on rocks. the rocks. Oh my good boys!
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: be cool. Stay tuned
0: And keep it On, on the, the rocks, rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Go On the rocks He made it excellent He came back today And I kind of liked it to...
2: Pat Tina here <laughs> Yeah Where's that Yeah, hey, I need me Marble red
1: And a Budweiser <laughs> I'm Pat Tina <laughs> Pat Tina Pat That's ridiculous i <laughs> will be fine. The edits will be good.
2: Are oh, doing? where were you? What are you doing? I even did my cream voice.
0: Oh. <laughs> Fuck me and the pussy. pussy.
2: Cluvium Carly, everyone. Yeah.
0: Let me out and play. <laughs> I promise to be good. He won't touch your doo doo maker uh. this time. <laughs> this time. This <laughs>
2: time. I Go don't to believe sleep you. will.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> well,
2: Pussies. Paula <laughs> <laughs> cross papilla. <clears throat> four point seven inches. I know that size. A <laughs> <laughs> <Of> prehistoric orc. <laughs> Every That's like year. My wife's What'd you just say? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just got distracted got so by ex- Batman over
2: there. <laughs> Ribbed for her pleasure. Oh yeah. <laughs> foot of year. a uh, Foot of year. A foot a year. In like I think. <laughs> what? Characteristics. characteristics. Yeah. Characteristics. <sighs> Can also play a fart. Negba, neg but neg.
0: Rabbed. Rab. Rabad. <laughs> Is it a word? Des- <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh my god, that was funny.